Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert, along with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. And if you're new to the show, welcome aboard. 45 years in journalism between the two of us, over 35 covering sports in the Houston area. And we're just a couple of minutes away from going rapid fire with Sean on what he's seeing and hearing out at Texans camp. It's our one-minute drill. We also hit a former Houston rocket romance that's turned into a bitter divorce and a bullet dodge potentially for the Rockets. But let's start with the feel-good Astros, Sean, and those back-to-back John Singleton upper deck shots and King Tut's comeback Baltimore slam were two of my favorite regular season moments in the last few years, man. Yeah, uh, you're not the first person to say that. You know, uh, the Tucker at bat of a week or so ago now, I mean, that was just, uh, I mean, that's what you dream of uh, as, as a little kid, you know, being able to do something like that, bases loaded, ninth inning, grand slam, win a ball game like that against, you know, one of the best teams in Major League Baseball in the heart of a division race, a pennant race. It, it was uh, goosebumpy, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, I tell you what, you can talk about goosebumps, John Singleton, his story, no matter really, you know, for him personally, what he does going forward in terms of his performance, it's, it's a special thing coming from where he was years ago, uh, battling, you know, addiction problems, you know, after reaching the pinnacle of, you know, a professional in baseball to fall as far as he did, thinking that he was never going to play again, Mexican league. Next thing you know, he blinks and he's back in the minors. And now he's hitting back-to-back bombs, like majestic shots in the heart of a race. And it's fantastic. Out of baseball from 2017 to 2021, you mentioned the Mexican League. And I mean, what are the odds he ends up back with the Astros? And in his first at-bat at Minute Maid in eight years, he smacks one against the same team he hit his last major league bomb against. Eight years, 13 days later, and Sean, his quote, grabbed me. He said, I treat every pitch like an at-bat. And it's a change in philosophy, he said. And I just thought that was the quote that just jumped out at me. I don't even know how to wrap my mind around that. Uh, You know, as a a player myself at very low level, (laughs) um, I... I'm so far removed from that sort of mentality. I mean, I'm sure if you would have asked me, uh, you know, 10 years ago, if that made sense, I'd be like, yeah, of course. (laughs) I can't make sense of that, but it doesn't matter what you or I think of that as long as he's got it right upstairs. And I'll tell you this much. I I don't remember much of him, uh, what he looked like, what his approach to me looked like as an Astro in 2014, 2015. But I'll tell you this much. Look, he's still going to strike out a lot. That's just who he is, is an aggressive, you know, attack mentality at the plate, which is good. And it's more simpatico now with the way that hitters are in Major League Baseball, particularly with his Astros ball club. But how aggressive are you talking about? Because if you look at what he's doing now that he was not doing when he was an Astro the first time around, his strike zone is so much better i mean you just don't see him swing at stuff and and that's a big difference from what we've seen with jose abreu who swings at some of the craziest crap ever and i think that's what i'm looking forward to seeing with him over abreu yeah Pena too you know um they they look at times like they're just not flat out seeing the ball or they're selling out for fastball or just you know guessing wrong but just aggressive i mean 
when he swings the bat, he's not cheating himself. It's a small sample size, but we know what he looked like with Milwaukee. I mean, I think he didn't even hit a buck 30 in a you know cup of coffee with them when he'd first gotten the call up this year. And when I say he's still going to strike out a lot, look, that's his MO. That's just who he is. He's a guy that's going to swing out of his shoes. And when he connects, it's going to go a long way. And when he doesn't, it's going to look really ugly. And I, I think talking about how he how his aggressive style meshes better now than maybe it did 10, 10 years ago or so when he was last with this ball club. It's that look, there's there's better help here, I think. There's some brighter minds and maybe some guys, uh, you know, the hitting coaches that are able to speak to their players in a different way nowadays than maybe um, you know, what he was hearing before. And maybe, look, his mind is just in a different place, which I think is certainly the case. But, man, he's fun to watch. And one of my favorite things in watching him over the last week and even in the minors that he'd spent, you know, the time in Sugarland is those bat flips are ferocious. Uh, I hope we get to see a lot more of those from John Singleton. And, uh, look, it took a long time, right? We're like 40-some-odd ball games remaining in the regular season, and we had to endure a lot of, uh, you know, head-scratching moments from Jose Abreu. This is when it really counts, man. Uh, you're still playing some very, very important ball games. You're not satisfied with being three, three and a half games up in the wild card standings as that number two spot. You're still trying to win this division. So you've got a lot of important ball games. And I think right now, knock on wood, you know, the Astros are about as healthy as they've been all season long and maybe as potent of a lineup as you've had, uh, you know, for Dusty Baker to try it out there every night. That injury to Mayton might be a, a blessing in disguise because Phil Mayton is right there near the top of baseball in appearances. And frankly, it, it might not hurt him to have a couple of weeks off and get some rest. No, I fully agree with that. And, you know, he's another one of those things where, you know, we, we were kind of talking about that with Montero. It's like, can he just get hurt? <laughs> can Dusty just say he's hurt? You know, give him a little rest and just try to figure out and get him right. You're doing that with uh, Maton now. And look, Montero pitched in, you know, low leverage opportunities, you know, over the course of the last couple of weeks. High leverage when, what was it, yesterday in that two-to-one ball game against the Angels or a couple of days ago, whenever that was. But yeah, I, you know, the Astros, they've, uh, they've improve their bullpen as best they possibly could, I guess, in the addition of Graveman and, uh, you know, getting Mashinsky back up and down and getting Verlander. So you've got France coming out of the bullpen. Maybe it's Hunter Brown at times, too, depending on what they do with the six-man rotation. I mean, hell, they could go seven if they wanted to. So they got a little flexibility, and I think they're trying to work through those things. But uh, we'll get a better grasp of who this team can actually rely upon when it becomes, you know, win or go home time here in the next uh, month or month and a half or so. All right, it's time to make Sean sweat like when he's out at Texans camp. So we're going to make him sweat with the uh, one-minute drill. Let's do it. Uh, let's pull up the clock here. Um, come on, clock. Get in there. There we go. There's the clock. All right. First topic, D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico says he likes training camp scuffles. Uh, but, Sean, do you think friendly fire camp fights are a good thing? Yeah, 100%, man. I mean, we see it every year. Um, I, I think it's uh, I think it's just natural. You know, they've kind of couched it as like, hey, yeah, it's hot. You know, guys get tired of seeing each other. I mean, you know, maybe that's like a fraction of it. But, I mean, let's call it what it is. I mean, it's there's an uber competitive environment every year, regardless of what your organization is trying to do. This year, you've got some veterans in there. You've got some hungry young guys in there. It's naturally going to happen anyway. So, yes, it's a good thing because that means guys care. That means you have some dogs 
on this roster. And I tell you what, man, I thought Jalen Petrie was the top dog of that tree in terms of who was the most feisty and most likely to, you know, trash talk. But when we've heard it from Jacob Martin and Jimmy Ward, uh, I, I don't know who got in the scuffle today. I mean, it happened so fast. It took the entire team to break the whole thing up, but it's been a lot of fun to watch and I can't wait to see what kind of uh trash talking we get with Miami coming in in the next day or two. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that too. So second topic, are you getting any answers on why Laramie Tunsil and Shaq Mason aren't on the field building offensive line chemistry? Uh, just a veteran rest day for Laramie Tunsil, and it was nothing new really than what we'd seen last year. Um, I can't speak to the year before because I didn't cover the Cully era, thank God. Um, but, you know, Laramie's, uh, they know what he can do, and it's about creating depth. And so all that D'Amico's really spoken to in regards to the linemen is that, hey, guys are getting reps, and it doesn't matter if it's on the first, second, or third team, whatever the case may be, they're getting reps. But, the you know, the rotations with the offensive line continued. Now, Mason was out there today. Uh, it was Laramie Tunsil who had – you know, the off day, Kenyon Green got spelled by Michael Dieter in the second half of practice today, who was playing left guard. I think Sutherland uh, got some reps at, at left guard as well towards the latter end of practice. And so I think it's really just about seeing guys and what they can do technique wise. It looked like they were concentrating more on the right side of the line today where they weren't missing dudes. Uh, outside of Titus, that's where Fant was. That's where Mason was, and obviously Ed Scruggs. So I just think they're kind of getting looks and working on individual things while these guys take some days off. Yeah, I I, I don't question maybe the ones the the days off in camp. I I just question, you know, the, those guys not playing during yeah. the preseason games, and you know, hopefully we're going to see them against the Dolphins. Now, third topic: Casario signed free agent quarterback EJ Perry. How serious is Case Keenum's injury? It's hard to tell. Uh, D'Amico hasn't addressed Keenum's injury. We asked him about it two days in a row. And uh, first day, he just flat out ignored. And uh, today, you know, I think he just, I don't think he actually was asked about it today because we did actually see Case Keenum out there. And so yesterday, he was in a compression sleeve on his left leg. Today, he was just in a compression pants. I've been told that all of the Texans' injuries, aside from Hairston, their uh, fullback, it's soft tissue related. Hairston's got the herniated disc. Uh, Keenum was out there today talking with Perry pretty much the entire time during practice. Perry only got reps during like individual drills and maybe some walkthroughs. Um, he might have been the one to throw the touchdown to Tank Dell late, but I couldn't really see. I think it was Mills just because he's typically gotten most of the reps aside from Stroud with that second and third unit. So um, I, I really wouldn't say there's a big reason to worry about Case and his health right now. They bring in Perry because they're going to give Case um, the amount of time necessary to get himself right because they understand how valuable he could be in a you know bleep hits the fan moment. But you're going to have to have somebody to play, you know, the better part of that second half on Saturday against Miami. And while Perry hasn't gotten a lot of the reps, um, my guess is, is they can dumb down this system enough for him to get a good look at those twos and threes on Saturday while still, you know, making it look as uh, you know, palatable as possible in that second half. Yeah, yeah, you you went way over time speaking of that. So you're you're we're going to take away time for you. I want right. 30 seconds on this one. Could need. this could this be the Texans 
deepest secondary we've seen in franchise history? Ooh, man, deepest. Uh, one of the best that I can recall was Jonathan Joseph and Daniel Manning uh, years ago. Um, no no depth. No depth, though, I don't think. there. Maybe, maybe no depth, but maybe one of the more talented ones, certainly. In terms of depth and talent, yeah, it's hard to argue, right? I feel like this is maybe the best that we've ever felt about a Texan defense in memory. Um, a lot of that has to do with where you'd come from versus where you are right now, but um, what they're doing in the secondary is is no joke. I mean, this is a legitimate group. They're for real. Steven Nelson, Derek Stingley, Jalen Petrie, Jimmy Ward. I can go on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it's been great. It's been great. Um, that, that's something to keep an eye on. Next uh, topic here, reset the clock. Look at that, I only needed 15 seconds. All right. From the practices since Thursday's preseason game, which Texan player – impressed you or excited you the most tank dell tank dell and maybe that's a little bit easy for a lot of people but it really wasn't for me i mean i knew he was talented but to see him perform on thursday night against the patriots the way that he did with the ones and the twos and then to come back out and continue to be the dude not a dude but the dude in practice, every single team period, the guy just gets open. He finds a way. He's so fast, so elusive, so quick. Route running has been impeccable. His hands have gotten better. Um, he's impressed me the most. Surprise? Steven Sims, in terms of where he was when camp started to now as a pass catcher, he's had a fantastic week and a half, and it really started with the game on Thursday night. He continued to make plays today in practice. He might find his way still on the practice squad or off of this team completely, but I think he's really improved the most in terms of the receivers. Just in the nick of time, too, on that one. So my next one is Tegan Catoriano. He's had camp injuries his first two years. Mm -hmm. How big are the next two weeks for this guy? Huge. Um, you know, look, he missed all of training camp last year with a knee issue. I think he had fluid built up in his knee, which, uh, you know, you can't do too much when that's the case. And from what I know this year, he's had a bit of a quad problem. Now, you know, he makes his second straight practice in as many days. It's a huge, huge upgrade uh, for the Texans at that position in terms of depth there. Um, and it's big. You need healthy bodies, you know, in all these positions, but particularly at tight end. When you talk about like, OK, Schultz doesn't go anywhere. You're looking at Tegan. Um, Beck is that fullback hybrid tight end kind of a guy. So there's three right there. You're going to carry Mason Shrek. What about Eric Tomlinson? You know, he's looked pretty good. Tomlinson has. And you know what Shrek has been able to do in a small sample size. But Tegan, so good off the ball, so good catching the ball, so good blocking. He just brings an element of versatility to that position that I think is invaluable in this offense particularly. Fantastic. All right. So last one I got for you. What are you hearing and seeing about Juice Scruggs? Will he be ready to start at center and I guess be good at center? you know, to start the season? You know, um, I, I paid attention to him a lot more closely the last couple of practices. And look, he's taken all of the one reps and I think even some two uh, reps uh, in the last couple of practices, you know, along with Morrissey. And I think Sutherland might've gotten a rep or two at center. But if you listen to Scruggs talk, you may not be that confident because he's not, 
you know, the most vocal, put together, maybe doesn't handle the interviews that well, so it doesn't exactly exude confidence when you listen to him talk, but just watch him play, especially as a run blocker. Um, good snaps, you know, good controlling the line. I think he's picked up the terminology, which we talked to him about a lot today, as being that leader to take on that onus for a very quarterback-friendly system, just getting guys and their line calls and down right away. Um, I'm a little concerned about him in terms of uh, pass protection. I think he has a lot of work to do there with his hands and leverage. So we'll see. So uh, is there anything else that, you know, a storyline that we haven't gotten into that you feel like you're seeing in the last few days since the Thursday game? Um, You know, the offensive line, the rotations there are a little bit curious to me just because you worry a little bit about Kenyon Green and whether or not this guy is sustainable. Like, is his game where it needs to be? He just looks gassed towards the end of practice to me. He, he looks gassed. I I know before training camp, you know, we heard about this guy putting on some strength and maybe getting a little bit more trimmed up. I haven't noticed a single solitary difference in his body type this year from last year. He's talked a good game. Um, he's out there, he's gotten reps, but it's the ramp up process is over. You know, I mean, we're 14 days into training camp. I'm not convinced that he's the dude at left guard. Now, with that being said, I'm not convinced that Dieter is either. I'm not convinced that Beach could be the guy. I'm not convinced that Sutherland could be the guy. I'm a little worried about the depth on the offensive line in general because you're one play away from really hurting at any one of those positions to be quite honest with you I know they have a lot of you know swing guard tackle guys guys that could step in and play center you know the drop of a hat but man they're going to be charged at some point with one or two things that done both at the same time protecting your franchise quarterback if CJ Stroud's the dude week one against Baltimore but then two being road graders out there um, to hell with what the system can really do and what it's all about. You've got one of the better young running backs in the entire league in Damian Pierce, and you got to have some continuity, some chemistry, con- some consistency, and some dogs to go out there and set the tone. And I just don't feel that comfortable on the left side of that line outside of Remy Tunsil. So I'm worried about that. The other thing is, on a positive, this interior defensive line is looking sick. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't sat down, but I'm going to do it tonight or tomorrow, Robert, and try to make a little mock 53. I know it's two weeks to the day, so I probably should have done it as a piece today. (laughs) Uh, But I might do it here in the next week. I had to try to figure out, like, how many defensive tackles these dudes are going to keep because it's going to be a really hard cut, I think, coming from that position when you talk about, you know, outside of your top four dudes, Lopez, Ridgeway, Rankins, and – Heinish is a guy uh, that's going to be guy? on the. Heinish is like the fifth. Heinish yeah, is like the fifth. Yeah, he's he might be a little bit uh, in trouble. I, I, I just got to go back seven. to Kenyon Green though before we we continue because, I mean, you look at Casario's draft picks and right now he's the one that's the most in danger of being a total bust, especially being a first rounder. And yeah. you know the concern is is for real. And I just keep going back to the whispers that I've heard that you know he just was not all about it last year. He just wasn't a guy that I don't, I, I, I get the kind of feeling he just doesn't love it. You know, he's not a, a guy that loves football, which I, I would be surprised if Casario would draft a guy like that. 
I, I don't know if it's a talent thing with him, Sean, at this point. I just feel like, you know, you're talking about him not being in shape, uh, maybe not being in the right shape that he should have been in last year. And, and I, I, I get it. There, there have been some injuries corresponding with all that, but there's just something about all the stuff that I'm hearing and it's kind of coming together that I'm, I'm scared. This guy could be a, a real bust in the first round. I hate to, you know, out loud speculate on a guy's love for the game and what they do and what they've committed, you know, the better part of their life to. But I have to be honest with you. I'm standing there watching practice today and in the latter half, I just kind of notice, you know, Kenyon, he's kind of up and down off of a knee and getting water and going back and forth, you know, to the sideline and stuff. And that was a thought for me because when you listen to him talk, and granted, he's young, not everybody handles the media well. I mean, Derek Stingley's terrible with the media. He didn't even talk to the media most of last year. He's very shy, very buttoned up keeps to himself but the dude's a baller you know yeah. I don't, he may not be sauce gardener baller type i don't know i don't care about that i just need him to be a really good corner okay but some guys you know talk to talk as well as walk to walk and you, you don't hear that from kenyon you don't feel that but you know what like i think you're lying to yourself if you if you think you hear it and feel it from a guy like laramie tunsell who's very odd with people in general, talking about the sport and his craft as well, if we're being honest, he lets his actions do all of the talking. And he's one of the very best in the game and paid rightfully so as such. So I, I always have problems doing that, but it was a thought of mine. And just watching the guy play, I don't know that he's in the very best shape that he needs to be. And I don't know that a guy that big has the muscle, the strength to support what's opposite him. You know, for everything that I asked Chris Strouser, their offensive line coach, about a couple of days ago on that Saturday practice, I said, uh, what exactly are you looking for from your linemen in this system specifically? And he said, guys that are athletic, big, powerful, strong, agility, like Charlie Heck is the best looking tackle I've ever seen in my life. He's just tall. He's a behemoth of an individual, but he's felt the guy doesn't have a lot of fat on his body. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm just amazed, like totally different body type than that of like a Titus Howard. And I start thinking about the way that Strouser described guys, the what, what he's looking for in this system isn't necessarily what the Texans drafted in Kenyon Green last year. The system wasn't in place. This wouldn't slow it, you know, tree, the Shanahan tree. This I don't know how much zone blocking they really needed from their guys last year. They did some, but we didn't we saw totally different Kenyon Green from preseason to regular season last year. He looked like a road grader when he was asked to pull and move laterally. And maybe those were some of the more encouraging signs. I haven't seen a lot of that this year. Maybe it's a little bit more hands, maybe it's a little bit more leverage, you know, more intricate you know, technical footwork, you know, sinking his hips, staying low, that sort of thing. I don't know. And I didn't get much out of Strouser, who didn't like to talk, obviously, about, you know, specific players in depth. But I, I'm i a TBD man on Kenyon Green, you know, 15th overall pick a year ago. I don't care where you were drafted. I just know the expectation. When you're taking that eye as a lineman, like Scruggs, you know, taking what, in the second round this year, I feel like there should be a plug-and-play element to that. You should be able to watch a guy with a little bit more confidence, and I just don't have that in him yet. Jared Patterson was picked in the sixth round. A center, but can play guard. Yeah. Is there anything with Jared Patterson that – 
anything going on there? Yeah, he got uh, he got some reps uh, with the first team towards the uh, I think it was the second portion of team period today. Looked pretty good. Looked pretty good. Uh, this was his second practice that he was available on the field. I believe I like him, man. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, in the minute drill that the Texans really kind of seemed to be concentrating on inside outside zone on the right side of the line today. I didn't see too many stretch plays or anything going left. I mean, they did run some, but it just seemed like they were emphasizing the right side of the line, maybe just to get a look. And I think that's really why you're seeing them rotate different personnel groupings. And I think there's everything to what D'Amico says. Hey, it doesn't really matter what team these guys are on. The guys are getting reps. And I think they're doing that with a very, you know, purposeful strategy here. And everything that I saw from Patterson today looked really good. The The run blocking was to be honest with you, superb today. I mean, Devin Singletary looked fantastic because he's Devin Singletary. The guy can just cut on a dime, and the hole's got to be there, though. And it was there. Pierce had some great runs. Dokes had another really good run or two today. Singletary just – it was back-to-back-to-back plays in an early team period today where I was just like, wow, this is, this is looking really freaking good. And so I think there's reason to be, you know, optimistic – about the run game for the Texans this year, whereas as good as Damian Pierce was last year as a unit, it was among the very worst in the entire league, and I think it's going to be much improved this season. Yeah, a couple of scrimmages coming up before the game on Saturday, so you'll get a chance to look at that. If you haven't, and you're listening to this show, if you haven't, checked it out. We did a live post game. We're going to be doing live Texans post games. Go look at it. If you don't see it in the video tab, it's in the live tab over there. Uh, that's where you'll find all our live shows. And uh, so that's worth checking out. Also, you know, our, we, we've talked to Case Keenum and David Anderson and Blake Cashman and uh, Quint Glover Quinn over the last few months. So go into the library, look for some of our uh, Texans interviews. I'll, I'll put a link to some of those at the end of this show. Uh, so go check that out. Meanwhile, Sean, we got to talk about this James Harden deal where he decides to go to China, where Daryl Morey is hated by the government, as we remember very clearly. And Harden almost uses the Berlin Wall as his shield to call Daryl Morey a liar. Sean, why are mom and dad fighting like this? It's weird, man. I don't know. (laughs) My, uh, My first thought when I heard that audio was, boy, Harden must have found himself in a pickle. And of course, he's going to use Daryl Morey, you know, as uh, the scapegoat here and just roll the bus over him repeatedly like a steamroller, right, to get out of something. And of course, you know, probably picked up the phone, called Daryl later on and was like, hey, man, I just I had to get out of there. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, I, I think it's probably less of that and more so of him continuing to posture. Look, they couldn't arrange a deal. He had to opt in the next year of his contract maybe that bought a little bit more time it just doesn't appear that they're going to be able to move him or even want to move him I mean they should as an organization feel like they could contend for an NBA title this year with those two and I know the numbers Harden and elimination games and just playoff numbers have just been so sporadic and weak and meager to be honest with you but he doesn't he doesn't want to be there He's clearly trying to leave a third team for in three right. years. He doesn't want to be there because they don't want to pay him. Yeah. And the reason why they don't want to pay him is what happened again in the playoffs. And then 
credit this one to Ime Udoka, God bless him, who came in to save the day because the Rockets, I think, really were going to give him that money. And that's why Daryl probably made that promise to him. Daryl probably heard that the Rockets were going to do what they were going to do. And he's like, okay, now I'm bidding against somebody. And if you're, you're bidding against somebody as opposed to not bidding against somebody, it's a totally different deal. So, you know, God, thank you for giving us Ime Udoka and, and, and letting us out of dealing with that. I mean, I just, I can't tell you, Sean, this, there's so many of these Rockets fans that will go into the trenches with James Harden, no matter what, like, I, I, like he's that guy that you were in a relationship with that basically cheated on you. And then you're like, Oh, but I still love him. Yeah. I know, and when, right? when you were in the relationship, he wasn't all that. He he didn't work hard at it. Let's put it that way. He did always work hard as, at his relationship with the Rockets. And and I mean, you know, getting, getting in the lab instead of getting in the, in the clubs. And, and that's the difference. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there've been countless guys uh, across all sports that have reached that point to where, you know, they put in just enough and they've got the life that they want. They are who they want to be, uh, you know, on and off of a court or a field. And, you know, that that's just kind of what it's been. But I, I'm kind of with you, you know, the uh, the hardened faithful, <laughs> you know, the truthers. I don't understand why they can't see the forest through the trees. You know, you'd been there once. We don't need to go back and do that again. I mean, sometimes you just have – it's kind of like the Astrodome, man. Times were good back in the day when that thing was open and, you know, we got to go watch games there and stuff. But Now there's know, rats running through the thing, and, yeah. and I don't I don't want to deal with it anymore. We, there's we the rats. Just, Tear it down, you know, make some parking, keep the skeleton of it, you know, make a great event center or something like do something with the site. Just uh, just you're, you're blocking 90 percent of NRG when I'm coming from the south and I want to see my football stadium, not the uh, one from 40 years ago. Just put it in the past. And I it just things are really happening for this Rockets organization now. And I we've talked about the uh, synonymous relationship organizationally, philosophy-wise between the Rockets and the Texans. Like, Houston, get excited about the future. Stop dwelling in the past because it was good. It was fun. It put you and kept you on the map, you know, and you were relevant and you were on the da-na-na, da-na-na, you know, a handful of times a week because of him. But it's going to be so much better you know, going forward, it could be. There's so much more promise and sustainability without the drama, without the me, me, me. And I'm all here for that because if you've heard me say it once, you've heard me say it a thousand times, I want to like, I want to like my team. I want to like and respect and enjoy my players and feel like it's reciprocated, you know, just a little bit. And Rockets I, fans wonder why this team is hated. And a big part of it was nobody liked James. And and now people are starting to realize well, now you're getting the epiphany of mm-hmm. after him, like just d- doing this burn the bridges behind him with three straight teams and in and, and four years, you know, between the Rockets, the Nets and the Sixers. Now you get it maybe that, hey, that this is the reason why they didn't like James Harden, because this is the guy that they thought was who James was. To me, it's complicated. To me, it's complicated. I, I think what you just said, yes, it's, it's inarguable, but it's not solely because of James. The Rockets decided to, you know, go down that very dark, dingy, dangerous path of tanking over and over again. Once, you know, financially and really personnel wise, they felt like they had no better option 
but they but, but they, didn't you feel like didn't you kind of feel like the national media was just waiting for a reason because the national media just the, the, the they were definitely not a big James Harden fan. I I, I don't really think they were a Daryl Morey fan. The game the game the, was changing, and I think you know the, the the guys that you know represent you know the basketball minds and the national media. Some of those older heads they didn't appreciate the way that the game was changing, and he was kind of that trendsetter, you know, at the time. And, well, they felt like he was cheating the way he was drawn fouls. Yeah, sure, sure. They, did, they didn't like the style of basketball that he played where it was just, ball. you yeah. know, one-on-five basketball. Yeah. And and they didn't like the fact that James also was doing all of these things, but when it came to the postseason, and that was my, this is my biggest problem with him, he didn't show up. And he didn't show up when you needed him, basically. Right. And that but, was the problem. But people hate the team when you lose on purpose. People hate the team when you just flat-out lose. And there are okay. Hate Detroit. Uh, hate hate some of these other. No, 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 I'm not talking about national. I'm not talking about national. I'm, I'm talking about local. You know, because they lost a lot of fans. I know they kept a lot of, and you know, Rockets. They kept a lot of them. Like yeah, but the, doesn't the, represent. No, the Rockets. What I'm saying is, there, there's a lot of Rockets fans out there that are. I'm talking about to specifically the guys out there that are like, man, you know, I don't understand. The Rockets are always they're they're hated. They're hated. They're hated nationally, and and that's been the complaint. You know, and, and, and for for these last three years is why are they hated nationally? And 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 really, this I mean, I I think this goes back to James. What? Why would anybody have just randomly picked? We're gonna hate Rafael Stone. I mean, I don't understand why the national media all of a sudden decided they were they, they didn't know who Rafael oh. Stone, but they knew who James Harden was. Yeah, but they, people they, know. they knew they didn't like J- James to begin with. They're like, this is our chance to just pile on the Rockets because because of. You know, all those years it, where they it, just didn't like the way we, we did business. They didn't like the way we did business before anyway. No, but I mean, you know, Rafael, a lot of what he took and what the organization took was because of him. I mean, people in the know knew, you know, what he was doing and under, undercutting and, um, you know, the the way that he handled, you know, the Stephen Silas era, um, overstepping his bounds, being meddlesome and things like that, conniving. I mean, they knew what he was doing. I, I, I just, but I, I'm sorry. Like that, that stuff maybe was there a little, but I heard it mentioned very, very little from the national people, and they were constantly just there. There, there seemed to be there seems to be no real rhyme or reason why they decided to pick specifically on the Rockets when there are other teams, many other teams, not just this this last few years, but in the last decade, 15, 20 years that have been garbage and purposely done so. And it, and yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't the same. This isn't, it, it's not equivalent to what, what the Rockets took. And for two years, the Rockets had to be bad. They had no choice. They, they, they didn't have any, once James left, all the talent was gone. You had a bunch of, it was a team built around James. And once James let, leaves, a team built around James is going to fall like a, like a cheap tent. And, and that's what they did. And, I, and, understood. and, and, and w- once they got to year three, you can, you can argue with them as far as like how they did it, but uh, that year, but those first two years, th- there was no choice. You weren't going to be good those first two years. It was impossible. It was literally impossible to be understood. Good. Look, uh, a lot's changed um, money more so than anything else over the years. And, you know, the power of the, the, the players, the players union, in my opinion, but, now, look, there was there was a lot of years there, you know, under Jeff Van Gundy, when Daryl Morey first got here, especially like he could have blown the thing up then. He remained adamant um, to not do it. 
They remained in the mix, mediocre in their mind, tried to be as competitive as they possibly could have. They could have done the same thing back then. And, you know, money may be relative to the time then versus now, but I, I just think. But also, the organization endured, endured, endeared themselves to the fans more over the course of the last three years if in fact they felt it necessary and wanted to do so but it's a new wave a new philosophy you know uh we've seen the astros do it the rockets kind of followed suit texans have done the same thing as well i mean they stripped it down and it was gonna stink it was gonna hurt and it has and now it's time for the reclamation project and you're 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 seeing it. You're watching it. This is a big year for them. It was it was necessary for them um, for what they wanted to achieve. But was it the only way out? I don't think so. But did I, it mean I, ultimate success in the next two to three years? You know, probably more so likely doing it that way than you know the old Daryl Morey adage, you know, philosophy under Les Alexander's ownership. But I just think there's always another way, and they chose this path. Yeah, and I'm going to say that back then, the difference is Daryl Morey had to listen to his owner, and his owner wouldn't let him tear it down. That's number one. Number uh-huh. two, they didn't have they did they weren't screwed with the draft choices because of that stupid Chris Paul trade that James Harden put a gun to their head and made them do. And that's on Tillman too. Tillman let you know let the whole thing get out of control, and probably on Daryl to a degree as well because he had let James take it over. Yeah. But that that was. That was all part of the reason why this had to be a different story. I mean, I I understand it from a philosophy standpoint of the difference between what was going on back then, mm-hmm. 15 years ago, and, and what's going on now. Look, mm-hmm. Kyle Lowry, they had Kyle Lowry back then when, when all those guys started getting injured. And you could take Kyle Lowry and flip him for a first-round pick and a pretty decent first-round pick, which is how they got James Harden, if you remember, because that first-round pick, was part of the Harden deal, one of the better parts of the Harden deal. Frankly, it was Kevin Martin, and it was that four, that first round pick, number fourteen, I believe, that they they You're traded right, yeah. Kyle Lowry away to the, to Toronto and helped Toronto later win a championship. But you know, it that's you know there there was a reason why they went about it that way then, and there's a reason why they went about it that way now, and 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 there there seemed to be some sort of vendetta against the Rocket franchise, and and. Whether people are going to say it out loud or they're going to tell you, they hated James Harden. James Harden has never been like this. He hasn't. The way he plays, the way his style, uh, the way he, he he plays in the clutch. It, it was I think it a, took a, a few years. I think it took a few years. Uh, whenever James Harden, you know, went from a sixth man to joining the Rockets and evolving his game, I think there was a huge element of like, wow just wow from you know the national media and fans abroad like this was a huge you know just (laughs) just sorry my baby's crying in the background that was just a huge uh momentum boost but it grew very old very quickly and i mean i could see why it's just it's not my favorite brand of basketball um, and I've taken, you know, a long time to kind of adapt to, you know, what we're watching, you know, across the NBA and how guys play. But I, I don't know that it's a vendetta per se. I just think there's a lot of different reasons why the national media is, you know, quote unquote, picked on the Rockets or just found them not a likable team. I'm in that boat too, man. This has not been a likable team. It's been unwatchable 
for me the last three years. I hate watch them, literally. Just because I have to talk about them, I hate watch them. And I am a fan first. I want to like and respect and enjoy watching my team and enjoy the players on the court. However, stylistically, they're playing the game. That, to me, at the end of the day, doesn't matter. I just want to enjoy and I want to see a team that is actually trying to win. And from a fan perspective, anytime your organization flat out tells you there is a reason why Drayton McClain never, ever said the word rebuild. That was just a word that was just off limits for him. I don't even think he ever said the word retool with any of his general managers. And it was just because they understood it was going to be a very hard sell for fans to get behind. And ultimately, fans don't get behind it. They know what you're doing. They're not going to buy tickets. They're not going to devote their time to watch you on TV unless there's a good product out there. And, you know, hey, tip my cap to all the Rocket fans that stuck around over the last three years to watch one of the worst brands of basketball I've ever seen in my life. Um, I'm hoping now, you know, they've turned the page and we're going to get a chance to, you know, really enjoy our team watching them again and watching them grow from the ground up. Oh, yeah. No, I think that's going to happen for sure. You and I are going to do this again in a few days. Definitely make sure if you're out there and a Texans fan that you're telling your friends, go watch our live post game shows. Uh, you're going to want to check those out. Uh, looking forward to doing that on Saturday. Yeah. And uh, everything else going on in Houston sports again. It's it's just a really fun time while we wait while we wait for the Rockets. We got the Texans, uh, and, and we we got the Astros for sure. And, and and looking forward to all that. Thanks a lot, John. Thanks, man. Enjoyed it. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Attack!